Welcome back to The Call Up, your go-to podcast on the future stars of Major League Baseball. As always, I'm your host, Aram Layton. I'm a prospect writer and analyst, as well as one of the co-founders of JustBaseball.com. And in today's episode, we have a loaded one for you because Mackenzie Gore got the call up. I thought it would be a few more starts in the minor leagues. I think the plan was for a few more starts in the minor leagues, but Blake Snell went down. Now Gore comes up, and if he performs well, I, I think the Padres will find a spot for him in the rotation, uh, whether they go six-man, whether they move somebody else into the bullpen. They'll, they'll figure out a way to carve out innings for Gore if he performs well in his couple starts before Blake Snell comes back from his injury. If Gore struggles, he'll go back to AAA, but I, I think there's going to be a very different Mackenzie Gore uh, than what we saw last year. And I think we've already seen this different Mackenzie Gore. How will he perform at the major league level? That will be the question, but I think he looked really good in that first start of the season in AAA, which I'll get to in a moment. And he looked phenomenal in spring training as well. I still think he's going to be susceptible to some hard contact. The fastball can flatten out at times and be a bit straight and he'll miss over the middle. But the velo on it and his built-in deception allows that fastball to play up when the rest of his arsenal is working. Uh, When it's not working and guys are sitting here, uh, they're going to hit it hard. But that happens with almost every pitcher, right? But I think the big thing for Gore was the velo has ticked up. In his one AAA outing, he was electric. He was 95 to 97 miles per hour on the heater, touched 98. The slider, which is what I noticed if you listen to the podcast a little while back, something I talked about from when we started to see the signs of life from Mackenzie Gore, uh, that was when he started to use the slider more. And the curveball was always that majestic pitch that everybody really loved and was getting rave grades, rave reviews, but it's still a good pitch in the right spots, but you can't lean on that slower bender uh, all the time. One, it's harder to throw for a called strike. Two, it is easier to shut down when guys are a little bit more aware of it and know that it might be coming at least a quarter of the time. It's a hard slider in the upper 80s and it tunnels really well with his fastball and he repeats his arm slot really well or his release point really well. So those two pitches work off of each other uh, quite effectively. Mixes in the curveball for that third speed and then the changeup looked really good. And that was always the MO for Mackenzie Gore, right? Four above average pitches, a couple plus pitches. Now we're seeing that balance of four above average pitches again because he's commanding them. He simplified the delivery and he looks really good. He did give up five barrels in that one start in AAA, but he managed all of that really well. No walks, seven strikeouts, which is the most important thing in five innings, two hits. So even if you give three of those five barrels as hits, right? Five innings, five hits, seven Ks, no walks. It's all about the walks and getting the swings and misses. He's doing both of those things, meaning that he's not walking people. He's getting the swings and misses. And for that reason, I'm starting to drink the Mackenzie Gore Kool-Aid. I I'm, I feel like this guy has settled back in. He looks confident. He has the moxie on the mound. 23 years old, still extremely young. I really like what we're seeing from Gore, and I'm wishing him a ton of success in that first outing uh, at the big league level. Can't wait to see him make that debut. And I know Padres fans don't need me to tell them that uh, they could really use a solid McKenzie Gore right now, even though the pitching is starting to look like a strength for this team. Uh, In the meantime, they need as much of that strength as they can get. I'm going to talk about the rest of the minor leagues as well. Kind of a heat sheet of the guys that have stood out offensively and pitching-wise. 
That will include some big league rookie talk as well, even though it's it's pretty early to talk about really anything in the minor leagues or the big leagues. It's more about what has stood out in the individual performances in terms of you know the approach or the exit velos or the pitch velos, because I'm not going to take a six-game sample size and say, hey, Stephen Kwan, who, by the way, I am very excited about, and you, you can't totally discount the start, but you can't be like, oh, Stephen Kwan's taking rookie of the year because he's hitting 526. He's 10 for 19 uh, through his first six games. Very good news, uh, but I still think that uh, the betting lines would not reflect that Stephen Kwan is a favorite. I would say, though, I did put $10 on him before the season started, and it was plus 6,500, which means it's 10 to win 650. I doubt it's like that anymore, uh, but it's again, it's really early. Can't draw any crazy conclusions. Joey Bart is swinging it. I mean, I, I hope he figured it out, but again, not holding my breath on that one. He also has eight Ks, and I believe it's 18 plate appearances, but the stat line, he's got a 1,000 OPS, so it's just an example of how early it is on some of these guys, but I wanted to talk about some of the standouts, just some players that have done some things that have caught my attention thus far. We'll start with the minor leagues because, of course, why not? We got to start with the minor leagues. And I, I want to start with the guy I talked about a lot on that St. Louis Cardinals farm system rundown. I even said scoop up his cards if you can because they're just a few bucks. And I mean, it has been a great, great, great start for Alec Burleson. And I had a feeling that Burleson was going to start hot in AAA because of how good his at-bats were in spring training. Even though the numbers weren't strong, I really was encouraged, as I mentioned in previous episodes, by his at-bats and by his plate appearances. And so far in AAA this year, the power is starting to come out even more. I mean, the guy hit plenty of home runs last year, 22 to be exact, but his damage was limited once he got called up to AAA. He hit just four home runs in 45 games. Well, Alec Burleson has now hit four home runs in seven games so far this season. So matching the home run total in what is quick math in my head, 38 less games. I thought I was going to freeze there for a second. And what is 38 less games, he has matched the home run total. So I think we're seeing one, a more comfortable Burleson, and two, a guy that is picking the right spots now to try to do damage because Burleson also has good bat-to-ball skills and also is just a tough guy to strike out for the most part. But now we're seeing him pick the right spots to try to do a little extra damage, and it's working so far. I love what I've seen from him so far in those ABs. And if Corey Dickerson isn't working out for the Cardinals at the big league level and or Lars Nootbaar struggling, I wouldn't be surprised to see Burleson get the nod in the next month or two, potentially, if he continues to hit the way he's hitting. Uh, but for now, he is a great piece to have in AAA. Love what I've seen from him. On a much lower level and talking about some of the recent draftees, Khalil Watson and Jordan Lawler are lighting the minor leagues on fire thus far. I'll start with Lawler through the five games, small sample size, but Lawler is somebody that I have had ranked just a hair ahead of Marcelo Mayer uh, when the top 100 comes out on Monday, officially, officially will be coming out on Monday. Uh, you'll see that I have them basically in tandem together uh, just because I think it's so hard to, to really separate them by much, but I do like Lawler slightly more. I thought that the ability to impact the baseball uh, was just a little bit more present, though there is potential for Mayer to fill out a bit more. I just thought Lawler is a bit more twitchy. 
I just like the overall impact on the baseball, and I think that his athleticism is very evident in the box because of how explosive he is, but under control, repeats his swing mechanics really well for a young hitter. Lawler has started the season 12 for 24, which is obviously a 500 batting average, a pair of home runs as well. The defense looks pretty solid. Of course, that's what I really liked from Lawler as well is that athleticism, the arm, uh, the potential plus defense at short. I like what I've seen so far. He could work on some of the basic fundamentals and, and of course, just the true actions of the position, which is always something that gets better as young players move on and continue to get more games under their belt. But Jordan Lawler has looked really good and the footwork has looked great at the spot thus far. That being said, that Marcelo Mayer guy has looked pretty good himself. He's 11 for 25 to start the season. That's a 440 clip, but a lot more singles and doubles. It's early. He's getting a feel for things, and he seems like a very feel-oriented hitter. Such a smooth swing, such a just rhythmic load and pre-swing movements that I really think he does a good job of timing well, uh, which is why I love the floor on Mayer and Waller. I think both of them are going to be great players for a long time. But Mayer is a little bit more of that smooth, almost a dance in the batter's box. And it's really, really nice to watch when everything is on time. And it has been on time so far. Uh, I think he's going to start to tap into some more power. He's going to need to add some more physicality. And he'll start trying to unleash it a bit more. I see Marcelo Mayer right now just trying to feel things out and continue to just set the baseline as a guy that can put the bat on the ball and then continue to tap into more as he goes, but already splitting the gaps with some doubles and showing the tools across the board as well. Someone that is not afraid to cut loose, uh, there's no doubt about that, is Khalil Watson. And Khalil Watson's been cutting loose from the moment he stepped foot in Marlins camp, saw him hit some bombs on the backfields, and now uh, has already hit a few monster, monster home runs thus far. Four home runs in his six games. A couple of them have traveled over 400 feet, uh, well over 100 mile per hour exit velos. There's some swing and miss right now. He struck out 10 times in 25 plate appearances, which is a little bit more than you'd like to see. But my goodness, is he crushing the baseball? He, he had one swing, too, on a home run that he got caught a little bit on his front foot, kept his hands back, threw his hands at the ball, and still put it over the wall in right field. He's got some some just ridiculous power that makes things easier for him than they are for most other hitters. And he's going to get more comfortable. I want to see that approach continue to develop. He can get a little bit aggressive at times, but I believe in the bat-to-ball skills. I don't think strikeouts are going to be a monstrous issue. I think he's going to be able to keep those in the low 20%. Uh, as he starts to settle in and continues to improve with the approach. But my goodness, does this guy have some big-time pop. Another player that I have very much enjoyed watching, even going back into last year, and I, I love the start that he's gotten off to this year for the Oakland A's, is Zach Geloff. And Zach Geloff was a second-round pick in 2021, Got a little bit of action or experience last year, getting the assignment straight to low A. He was a college guy out of UVA, and in low A, he was really solid. Of course, college guys, you tend to think that they'll be pretty solid in low A, but still, love what I saw from Geloff in those 32 games. He went yard seven times. He hit 298, 393, 548, so a great start 
to his career last year, and he kind of picked up where he left off so far this season. Now in double A, six games, 448, 484, 724 slash line. Small sample size, I know, but a pair of home runs, and he's doing exactly what he did last year. He's getting the ball in the air to his pull side, not getting cheated when he does that. And also he uses the whole field when he's behind in the count and and shows a little bit more of a hit tool than I think many would have expected. I want to see the defense continue to progress at third. That was a little bit shaky out of the gate for him in low A last year, uh, but we'll see how he develops there this year. Big dude, 6'3", 205, but I really like the swing from the right side. Sneaky, athletic. You can see that in the box. Could be a top 100 guy by the end of the season, maybe even earlier than that if he continues to hit the way he is hitting. While I'm going through the A's real quick, might as well talk about Nick Allen, who I think is poised for a call-up sometime soon. He's not big at all. He's about 5'8", 170 pounds, if that, and... Look, he's not somebody that's going to be a perennial superstar, but he is a gold glove shortstop. He's going to win a gold glove. I I would bet on it as long as he hits enough to stick at short and be an everyday player. Worst case scenario, he's more of a utility guy than it might be tougher to win the gold glove. But I'm loving what I'm seeing from him so far offensively this year. He's walking as much as he ever has. He is spoiling tough pitches. He's kind of leaning into that type of approach of just being a pest. That comes with... Gold glove defense, as I said, it's short. And now just great bat-to-ball skills that he's leveraging more than ever. He's walking at at 13% clip. He's striking out at a 13% clip so far through these nine games, sitting 382. And he's already swiped three bags. That's who he has to be. He's not going to hit a lot of home runs. So be that gold glove defender, steal bags, get on base, be a pest. And there's still room for guys like that in this game, especially if you're going to play Supreme, supreme defense at shortstop. Allen should get the call up sometime soon. Although I will say Elvis Andrews is weirdly swinging it all right through seven games. But assuming he slows down because he was one of the worst players in the major leagues last year. Assuming he goes back down to there. I mean, I hope Andrews keeps swinging it because he's a big part of uh, my childhood and is on the cusp of 2,000 career hits. But assuming he does not continue to hit, I would think that Nick Allen gets the call up sometime soon or if there's an injury to one of the middle infielders or if Kevin Smith continues to hit one for 20 whatever uh, so far this season. One more notable thing on the offensive side of things in the minors that it's early again but I, I think we could start leaning into this a little bit because this is a very dramatic change through even just six games. Brett Beatty who said he was focused on getting the ball in the air more frequently is getting the ball in the air more frequently through his six games. This is somebody that had a 61% ground ball rate in his 40 games in AA last season. Through these first six games here, he has only hit the ball on the ground a couple times. 17% ground ball rate, actually 16.7% if we're being precise. That's good news. He's also using the whole field a bit better as well. Beatty needed to get the ball in the air more because this is somebody with easy raw power, easy plus raw power, I should say, but he was just hitting the ball on the ground too, too much and not allowing himself to tap into that power. His home run to fly ball rate had always been spectacular because once he got the ball in the air, there was a good chance it was gone. He just wasn't getting it in the air enough. So far this season, he's been getting it in the air more and the numbers have been solid. He's hitting 407. He's got a 667 slugging through those six games so far. Small sample size, but a little bit more of a sample size when we're just talking about the total 
batted ball data, which he's getting in the air more. And after hearing that he had the concerted effort to do that, I'm starting to believe that maybe we are seeing a new and improved Brett Beatty in that regard. And it seems like he's staying in his back hip much better. It seems like he's gearing up to have that lift, but also not fully compromise his swing and his bat to ball skills, which have been solid for him through the minor leagues. So he's going to strike out in the low 20%, but he's going to walk and still be able to hit the ball over the yard. So it is very good to see that development from Beatty. We'll see if it continues. Of course, his teammate is the one that has just been lighting the world on fire, which is Francisco Alvarez. He is a joke. He's a video game. And now I, I might have to start looking at a different uh, timeline, I think, to the big leagues for Francisco Alvarez. I have always remained that 2023 made sense uh, to be called up for Alvarez. I'm still going to lean towards that, but I have a lot of Mets fans in my ear and friends of mine that are Mets fans saying, Alvarez can come up this year, right? Like, I mean, look what he's doing. He's hitting 438 so far through the first four games with three home runs and double A as a 20-year-old. He's going to get called up, right? Um, and to that, I'm always like, I, I guess it's possible. Uncle Steve Cohen is always very eager uh, to try to win now. And if he thinks Alvarez can help them and if the catching situation is a mess and McCann is struggling, maybe we could see that. I think offensively, with a few more months under his belt, there's a chance that Alvarez could hold his own up there. But it, it's a big jump. I, I still think Double A is even going to start to have a bit more of a game plan against Alvarez. And I, I think the, the big thing here, right, is... Is he going to be able to catch Jacob DeGrom and Max Scherzer and call a game where Scherzer isn't frustrated that he is a rookie with limited experience? Like This is the thing we need to, to really look at here. Is he going to be your DH? Do, do they really need a DH that badly? I still am entertaining the idea that he could be a September call-up, but I just don't see it. I still think 2023 makes sense. I don't think people realize how much goes into the defensive side of things as well for a young catcher. But if you want to bring him up bring him up as a DH late in the season because you had somebody go down or whatever it may be and, and Alvarez is really raking, that's possible. I just don't know if you could confidently put that guy behind the dish to handle DeGrom, Scherzer, Bassett, even Taiwan Walker, Carrasco. I think that would be a very, very aggressive thing to do and just detrimental to the development of one of the best prospects in the game. I would assume that it's 2023 still, but the fact that Francisco Alvarez at 20 years old is making us even have this conversation is very, very ridiculous. And I will, I'll be honest, I'm going to lock in more on the games that he is behind the dish and see how he is developing back there uh, and see how things are going. Uh, but I still will lean towards 2023, but he could break camp with them in 2023. On the big league hitters side, before I get to minor league pitchers and big league pitchers, of course, these are either big league rookies or minor leaguers. Offensively, it's been a little bit of a mixed bag from some of the top prospects. As I always said and maintained, I thought Bobby Witt was going to struggle out of the gate just because there's some zone swing and miss. He's going to have to come up with some ways to uh, overcome that through approach. He's so talented and his slugging on contact is so ridiculous that he's going to be just fine. But I think it was going to take a little bit more time for him to get settled in uh, and be able to just be consistent at the plate. 
I love what we've seen from him defensively at third. Even when they're shifted, he's made some crazy plays at short. He's going to be a plus defender at the position. The power has already been evident. He's going to settle in, but he's got to work through it a little bit because he's just somebody that has a little bit of zone swing and miss. And those guys usually are a bit slower to get acclimated. I think Julio Rodriguez was a little bit of a surprise with how slow he has been to get acclimated. But 12 strikeouts so far in 23 plate appearances is rough. And J-Rod is probably the one guy uh, that I would have said, hey, you don't need to have him up right away. I'm always pushing for dudes to get called up because of service time manipulation and how much we we see these guys kept in the minors. But J-Rod had hardly had that many plate appearances above the high A level. Missed a lot of ABs last year to play in the Olympics, which is fine. Those are still quote-unquote ABs, but I don't think it's the same. I don't think it's quite, at least day in and day out, uh, the same level of competition that you're getting uh, in double A, at least just what comes with the territory of playing day in and day out in double A against consistently high-end competition. I think there's a wider range of competition in the Olympics, of course, some on the higher end as well. Julio Rodriguez might be a candidate to end up getting sent down, and that's a bit unfortunate, not just because of the start, but because of how bad the start has been, right? Like if he was one for 21, but he's hitting the ball right at dudes, I'd say, ah, it's okay. You know, let's, let's wait this out. 12 strikeouts in 21 at-bats, 23 plate appearances is a bit disastrous. And I also think that the fact that they're asking him to play center is a bit ridiculous. Uh, he's a guy that's played a decent amount of center in the minor leagues, but seem to be a candidate to move to a corner, can play center field in a pinch, but when you are adjusting to a big jump from what was a handful of games in AA all the way up to the big leagues offensively to now have to accommodate uh, a center field in a big outfield over in Seattle, that kid has a lot on his plate right now and has a lot to deal with. I will say he has the makeup and the attitude to be able to totally deal with the struggles and I'm not worried about Julio Rodriguez at all but this is a Mariners team that's trying to win now they already have a struggling Kalnick who finally hit a 114 mile per hour home run looks like he could be breaking out of it but a struggling Kalnick to also have a struggling J-Rod that that's a big hole in your lineup at this point so it'll be interesting to see how the Mariners decide to proceed especially because they have a little bit of outfield depth now especially after going to get Jesse Winker, and of course, also a Eugenio Suarez in that deal, and potentially having Kyle Lewis more in the fold moving forward. It'll be fascinating to see how they decide to approach that. C.J. Abrams was another guy who got off to a bit of a slow start, but went backside home run yesterday. Love that, because that's when you know C.J. Abrams is locked in. When he is letting the ball travel and going the other way, with It doesn't even have to be a home run, but when he's hitting the home runs, that shows you even more so because that means his bat speed is there, he's confident, and he's confident that he's not going to get beat with velo. He caught that almost out of the catcher's glove and shot it the other way for a home run, his first in the big leagues, his first hit in San Diego. I am so excited to see how C.J. Abrams is going to continue to develop. It has been a slow start for him as well, but for the Padres, they need him right now. It's a little bit of a different situation from Julio Rodriguez, and even though he is just two for 19, I believe so far, is C.J. Abrams, but the glove has looked really strong at shortstop. The arm has been ridiculous, and that's something I maintained after I did my deep dive last year, looking at all of the plays that C.J. Abrams made and watching a lot of the defensive tape. I really liked what I saw 
from Abrams defensively, and I think that has made its way up to the big leagues as well. He's going to need to settle in a bit more, but the speed should help him. As long as he's putting the bat on the ball, uh, I think he'll start to settle in. And the good news is only four strikeouts through those 21 plate appearances so far. I think he's going to settle in and, and be just fine. Some of the rookies on the more positive side, though, as I mentioned, Stephen Kwan is a joke. He's a cheat code so far. He is having a great time. Joey Bart has changed his timing mechanism a little bit, going with more of a toe tap. I don't know if that's going to fully work. There's still a ton of Ks there. He's striking out almost half the time, uh, but he is tapping into the power. He has put the bat on the ball a little bit, so worth watching. Seth Beer can swing it. I, I like what we've seen so far, 308, 357, 538 slash line through those five games. Seth Beer is going to always hit. He is just always going to be a DH as well <laughs> and does not move very well at all. And then how about Jeremy Pena? Jeremy Pena has been spectacular. He's been spectacular defensively. He's been spectacular offensively. I, I was saying since the offseason, do not sleep on Jeremy Pena. I know Astros fans were very upset about losing Carlos Correa. I'm sure they're still upset about losing Carlos Correa. But I kept saying, Jeremy Pena is going to do a great job and fill not the void that Correa left, but he's going to fill the job really nicely at shortstop, and he's doing that by playing great defense, by hitting 292 with a 320 on base, 500 slugging so far through six games, not striking out a lot, and again, even adding some speed to the equation as well. Jeremy Pena is going to be an all-star in this game, and he has been a lot of fun to watch even out of the gate. Also look out for Spencer Torkelson after a slow start. I'm seeing him start to show some signs of life in the batter's box. I'm expecting Torkelson to start to get really hot really soon here. He always struggles in the cold weather, as Jack alluded to early in the year. Uh, it's cold in Detroit right now and, and at a lot of their division rivals. He seems to be settling in a little bit more now, though, and, and I'm very excited to see when Torkelson kicks it in gear, what that's going to look like and how he's going to start to take the league by storm there. On the pitching side, we had one of our guys, Jake Graziano, one of our writers at JustBaseball.com, and he also works uh, for the AAA Scranton Rail Riders in the media department. And Grayson Rodriguez was visiting the Scranton Rail Riders, which, of course, I was like, Jake, I need video of Grayson Rodriguez, please. If you get a second, uh, I would really appreciate it. Of course, I was tuned into the start, and also Jake was kind enough to send some video, which is on the Just Baseball Twitter, as well as my personal Twitter, uh, because he was ridiculous. And I'm going to talk a little bit about Grayson Rodriguez when I get to the card segment. Yes, I am investing in a pitcher, and I'll tell you why uh, when I get to that. But as we're just talking about the baseball side of things in terms of what's happening on the field and uh, pitchers that are standing out, he was phenomenal yesterday again. The fastball, more comfortably in the mid-90s. We didn't see him run up to the upper 90s as much. I think he touched 96, but was spotting up phenomenally. The breaking ball was ridiculous. He sawed off Oswald Peraza on the first at-bat, then goes breaking ball, breaking ball in the second at-bat to strike him out in the upper 70s. Sawed him off with 96, then gets him swinging in the second at-bat with 78 and just an absolute hammer. He has so many different ways that he can attack you. He has so many ways that he can manipulate his fastball east-west, up-down, Breaking ball is ridiculous. Changeup is ridiculous. I really think Grayson Rodriguez could end up being one of the best pitchers in the game moving forward. So I'm going to get into that when I talk about his card. But he has been just a cheat code so far this year. Without a doubt, my number one pitching prospect in baseball and has continued to solidify that through nine innings in AAA. 15 Ks, one walk, two earned runs. That is it. That's a 0.5. 
0.55 whip because he's only given up those four hits as well. He is insane. And look, he is one of the most important prospects, I think, to their team in baseball, if not the most important prospect to his team in all of professional baseball because the Orioles have the worst pitching situation. It's not even close. The worst pitching situation in Major League Baseball. And Grayson Rodriguez might be as important to the Orioles as Jose Fernandez was to the Marlins in terms of how he was their entire staff. I'm not saying he's going to be Jose Fernandez out of the gate, but the Marlins pitching situation was slightly better than the Orioles at the time. What I'm trying to say here is that the Orioles are this doomed pitching staff, and outside of D.L. Hall, they don't have that many impactful arms that you could say, oh, that guy's for sure going to be in your rotation. You could even have your hesitations on D.L. Hall because of health and command. You look at what the Marlins were, where they were at, great offense at the time. Jose Fernandez was the one guy every fifth day you're like, thank goodness he's on the bump. And they had that one pitcher that everybody had to watch, everybody wanted to watch. I think Grayson Rodriguez is going to be that guy for a rotation that's going to probably stink otherwise, not going to be good for a little bit here, but I assume he's going to get called up by the end of the year. He's going to be good. And then at the start of next year, we'll be on the opening day roster and we'll be really good. We'll be really, really good. And I don't know if anybody else at the big league level is going to be really, really good. So that's kind of what I mean. I don't know if he's going to be Jose Fernandez good because Jose Fernandez was one of the most dominant pitchers through his early twenties in baseball history. Uh, But Grayson Rodriguez, I would not be surprised to see him Make some sort of history for the Orioles. I think he is that dominant and that special, and he's probably my favorite pitching prospect I've seen in a very, 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 very long time. He's going to be an ace for quite some time. A lesser-known arm from that same Binghamton Rumble Ponies team that has Francisco Alvarez and Brett Beatty is someone I mentioned in passing when we talked about the Mets episode. I know I mentioned him on the Just Baseball show as somebody that could actually be a bullpen arm for the Mets at some point this season, but he's trying to prove himself as a rotation piece. Jose Budo, Jose Jose Budo, double-A Mets, has been just, uh, again, another guy that's just been unhittable so far this season. Eight and a third's innings so far, where he has struck out 17 batters and walked just one, a 1.08 ERA, which is one earned run, which came on a solo shot. He's been crazy. 24 years old, not a very expensive signing bonus guy as an international free agent, which I realize actually is totally underselling it because I just remembered that he signed for $5,000, $5,000 in 2017. So yeah, I mean, this guy has kind of come out of nowhere, was good last year, very solid between high A and double A, pitching to a 3.83 ERA in 98 and two thirds innings. He punched out 110. And then again, just picking up where he left off this year through those first two outings. Keep an eye out on Jose Buto because he is special. Logan Allen, another one of my favorite minor league arms over in Cleveland. The Guardians have another piece here that could be up in the big leagues and helping them very soon. Logan Allen is throwing to a 2.89 ERA through nine and a third innings. He has punched out 17, only walked four. He is really good, really athletic, crafty lefty. Stuff has ticked up. He is a guaranteed to be a back end of the rotation starter with upside for a bit more. Could have something special brew in there just in terms of pitching depth in the Guardians organization. And I think Logan Allen is one of those that gets overlooked big time. Wilco Men Gonzalez, who I mentioned when we were talking about some of the most loaded minor league teams, 
Wilkeman Gonzalez of the Boston Red Sox has been crazy thus far. Low A still. He's only 20. Seven innings, 12 Ks, and four walks. He has not surrendered a run yet. Very, very electric guy with a Bugs Bunny changeup. Could be really special as well. And then Max Meyer. He was pulled after five perfect innings in AAA. It was more precautionary because of his calf. I think he could get called up to the Marlins relatively soon if Eliezer Hernandez struggles again. Edward Cabrera had a setback and is going to be out for a little bit. It should be a short IL stint, but it is an IL stint. And I wonder if the Marlins could end up calling up Max Meyer, assuming his calf is okay. The five perfect innings that came after another start where he was more than fine. 13 strikeouts, one walk. He has just been electric since I watched him on the backfield. He was electric in spring training, and he's been electric to start the year in AAA. Changeup is starting to be used a lot more. That was the big question. Fastball is playing well, and the slider is a joke. It's one of the best pitches in all of the minor leagues and will be a 70-grade big league pitch right away the second he gets called up, which is why people have floated the bullpen idea, but he has given you no reason to think that he cannot pitch in the rotation. I have no idea why his prospect stock has dropped after doing nothing but shove from the word go. On to the big league rookies, which this has been a ton of fun so far. I've been really enjoying the big league rookies so far. Uh, How about Hunter Green? That was a little bit ago, and I touched on him briefly, but Green was spectacular in his first outing. I was worried about how he can keep the ball in the yard. He did give up a couple home runs, but that was later in the start as he seemed to be wearing down a little bit, missed over the middle, and it was a couple, I believe it was a solo shot. It might have been two solo shots because it was three earned runs on two homers. If anything, it was one two-run shot in a solo, and one of them came from a red-hot Travis Darnot. He was hitting his spots with the fastball, and that's the biggest point, because if he's not going to have that third pitch mixed in much, which it just wasn't, uh, it, it has to be pinpoint with the fastball, or at least pretty darn solid command-wise with the fastball, and, and Hunter Green was just that. Five innings, seven Ks, two walks, two home runs, three earned runs came on those two home runs. So a very good outing for Hunter Green. Excited to see how he can continue to develop and how he will continue to keep the ball in the yard because that is the big question. And then how about my guy, Matt Brash? I've been talking about Matt Brash for what feels like years now uh, since he was traded over to the Mariners. And finally, he gets his first look at the big league level. And man, did the White Sox take some bad swings against the Mariners starter. Matt Brash, Broke camp, which was really exciting. I don't know if a lot of people were expecting that. I was even a little bit surprised. He went five and a thirds against the White Sox. Four hits, six Ks, one walk, two earned runs, one home run. He was just electric. I would like to see some more swings and misses on the fastball. His fastball location wasn't as great, but that slider was laughable. It was legitimately laughable how nasty it was. And to see Tim Anderson, Jose Abreu, Eloy Jimenez take some of these half-hearted sword swings that they did, it was a testament to just how insane the slider is. That pitch has had the most horizontal movement of any pitch so far this season, and not a surprise uh, that hitters were very uncomfortable. Matt Brash is going to be a stud and should be a dark horse for Rookie of the Year. I will be on that and continue to maintain that as the season goes on. Fastball, command, and I need a little bit more swing and miss on the heater, but everything else looked really darn good, and he seemed like he felt quite good out there as well. Speaking of the Mariners, somebody that has also been a name that I've been excited to watch pitch since he was traded, but he was hurt when he was traded over in that Austin Nola deal. 
Andres Munoz was laughably gross against the White Sox in his last outing. Coming off of Tommy John surgery, I think he was a bit of a forgotten piece in the deal uh, that sent him over from Seattle or from San Diego to Seattle. Excuse me, 23 years old. He is going to be a closer for a long time. It's not yet because the Mariners bullpen's kind of settled in right now, but he's going to be an integral part of this bullpen now, right away. There might be some games where he his command wanes, but I thought the command was great. So far, he's pitched three innings this year, and he's K'd eight. And it's been just not even competitive at bats against veteran hitters that have had not even a shot. He's up to 103 on the gun with the fastball. I mean, just routinely 101, 102, 101, 102, and then touch the 103. The slider is also insane. I think Matt Brash's slider is good. Imagine what Munoz is able to do with a similar profile, not quite as much movement, but it is also a 90 mile per hour slider that just has crazy late bite. Between those two pitches, he doesn't need anything else. And he's racked up seven of his eight strikeouts on the slider, but it's all set up by the fastball that is on everybody's mind because it's coming in there at 101, 102 miles an hour with high spin. He is just disgusting. And hitters are going to have nightmares of Andres Munoz. We saw it with the White Sox, and he's going to be, I think, very soon a closer for the Mariners for the foreseeable future. I could see that whether somebody struggles in the back end or he just forces his way into the back end. But for now, he's just a nasty seventh, eighth inning guy for what is a very good Mariners bullpen, even with the injury to Sadler. Before I get into the cards, a quick shout out as well to Spencer Strider, who has looked really solid, want to see a third pitch a bit more, but he's more of that long relief, so he doesn't really need that third pitch, and he has been really solid in his relief spurts. It seems like they're kind of putting him in that Michael Kopik type of piggyback role, uh, and he's looked really solid there. Also, Juan Duran of the Twins has been disgusting, disgusting, and as long as he's healthy, his stuff is kind of in that territory of Andres Munoz. So I want to make my case real quick as to why I'm going on eBay to buy Grayson Rodriguez cards because nobody invests in pitcher cards. I I get it because pitchers are risky and you got to deal with injury concerns and nobody really wants to collect pitchers as much because they pitch every fifth day. Whereas if you collect somebody like Byron Buxton or whoever, you get to watch them be dynamic every single day. I get it. I totally get it. But Grayson Rodriguez's baseball card right now is selling for like $75 still on eBay. Maybe a tick more after his last couple good starts, but easily under $100. And I look at Grayson Rodriguez at this point, and I know for sure, for sure, I would be shocked. I would honestly question everything I know about prospects if Grayson Rodriguez is not a legitimately good starting pitcher. I know that you got to be a dominant one. You got to be almost one of the best in the game to really be an insanely valuable baseball card. But I would be shocked if he isn't at least very solid. And if he's very solid, you're not going to get burned on that investment because the, the cost to get in here is so low for one of the best pitching prospects in baseball. And I look at like Walker Bueller, who I think he could easily be. And Walker Bueller is on, on the path to being one of the best pitchers in baseball. Walker Bueller's card is going for upwards of and you might say, well, that's not that big of a discrepancy. Well, why don't you look at the discrepancy between a Kyle Tucker and some of the top prospects we look at, or even some of the better big leaguers we have right now, or even all-star big leaguers and some of the top prospects we have offensively. A lot of those offensive prospects 
are just getting speculated to oblivion and almost being put at the same price point as some of the proven stars like Carlos Correa and other players in the game. So for him to still be Grayson Rodriguez, who is clear-cut, far and away, the number one pitching prospect in baseball to me, for him to be still well behind even some of the better pitchers in baseball, it shows that there's still a little bit of a discrepancy here. There's still a gap here. And for that reason, I really think Grayson Rodriguez is still a good buy at under $100. I got some of his more rare cards, too. I got a blue card out of 150 PSA 10 for what was a pretty cheap get-in price before the season. I just think that this is an opportunity to acquire. I know that maybe uh, it's not going to be one of the biggest dividend payers compared to some of the others that I've given out in the past and some of the other guys I've mentioned on eBay where you can scoop them up for Brennan Davis. I remember when I talked about him before even this whole eBay partnership, uh, I would talk about him on Lockdown MLB Prospects and I was buying his Bowman Cromatas for 40 bucks. Same with Gabriel Moreno and, and you can see how much those are going for now. I don't think you'll have that kind of return, but an opportunity to scoop up who could be the best young pitcher in the game very soon for less than $100 for his Bowman Cromato. I'm going to do that. I just think it's a great player to be able to scoop up, collect, and hold on. And 10 years from now, you'll be thanking yourself for scooping those cards up because I really see him having a long and very productive big league career on the mound. Going back into the field here, though, a player that I've been extremely high on as a prospect, but for whatever reason, did not really dabble into his cards too much until more recently. Uh, And the more I watch him, I'm just such a big fan of the way he plays the game and and everything he does. Brandon Marsh, outfielder for the LA Angels. I always still want to say Anaheim. Outfielder for the LA Angels. His card is still so cheap. While it doesn't have first on it for the autograph because his first edition card was a non-auto, that's the same thing with Brennan Davis though, this is still his first edition of his auto and it is only going for $30 to $35 ungraded. You can get a PSA 10 for a little bit over $100. That's insane. I'm extremely high on Marsh as a player. I love the way he is able to impact the game in so many different ways. He has more power than people give him credit for. He already left the yard once this year. He's been able to spray gap to gap, and he's been great. 333, 455, 556 slash run. He kind of has settled right in as that complimentary piece in the lineup. He's got crazy speed. He's an elite defender in the outfield. The power is going to develop. I still see 15 to 20 home runs there, and I just love his approach. I love the fun, just the the big beard, the long hair. He's a character. He's still only 24 years old. And with that left-handed swing, the speed in center or in the corners, wherever you want to put him, for a team that is so fun to watch, the Angels are still must-see TV. And if he can help them get to the playoffs, obviously it's it's Trout and Otani that's leading them to the playoffs and Rendon. But if he's playing a big glue part on a team that is, everyone's watching Mike Trout in the playoffs. We've been waiting to see Mike Trout in the playoffs. If they're playing just some sort of meaningful baseball down the stretch and and Marsh is that table setter that I think he can be with a little bit more impact. He's not just your slap guy. He's going to hit home runs. He's going to still be able to do some impactful things. I still have a 55 raw power for him, 60 speed, 50 on the hit tool and 60 fielding. He's going to be somebody that a lot of people are going to start collecting and really like the way he plays. And then he also has that distinguishable look and just a fun attitude to the game. I'm a huge Brandon Marsh fan and I'm scooping up his cards for $35, a Bowman Chrome Auto for $35. Uh, I'm buying as many as I can comfortably right now, to be honest, right now on eBay. One last card for you that I was floored how cheap they were on the eBay marketplace. Sal Freelick, 
Sal Freelich, Boston College guy, first-round pick in 2021, was viewed more as a bat-to-ball speedster. And similar profile to Brandon Marsh, honestly, and similar in the profile where I think there's more power than people may think. Freelich has been spectacular so far in his professional career. We didn't get a ton of looks at him last year because he was drafted after a full season at Boston College, and still, he got some action in low A where he made a mockery of the pitching in low A in 16 games. He hit 437, got on base at a 500 clip. He struggled a little bit more in the 15 games in high A, which was you know a big adjustment and also not a lot of time to adjust. And then so far this season in high A has been great. He is a easy 60, potential 70 hit tool guy. I have 60 present, 70 future on the hit tool. He is a simply plus runner. It's easy speed for him that really makes its way into the field and on the base pass. I'd like to see him steal a little bit more. He was pretty aggressive in his pro debut, swiping 12 of 14 bags. So we'll see if he continues to do that. He's got three already this year on five attempts, albeit. But it seems like he wants to make that a little bit more of his uh, part of his game after not stealing too many bags in that junior season at Boston College. But what, what has stood out to me the most is that he is starting to impact the baseball a bit more. He put up an exit velo already on a double this year to his pull side, 111 miles per hour. I don't think anybody expected Freelich to have that in him. He was already putting up 107s, 108s for home runs last year. 111 is a different story. That is honestly in the top 20 to 15% uh, if he can do that a little bit more frequently. But the fact that he's even capable of doing it at all, I don't think anybody expected. Part of that's because he's extremely athletic and his lower half-driven swing is very powerful because of how much strength he has in his base. You can see him really driving from that base. And to that pull side, I have above average power, or at least 50 grade power. Uh, To the rest of the fields, he's probably not going to be hitting as many opposite field home runs as you'd see from some other players. I think Marsh even might have a tick more power. But that exit view at 111, a lot more over at 107 to 105 range is is more than enough with Freelix bat to ball. It's also going to play up the power is in Milwaukee, where I think he could easily hit 15 to 20 home runs to be able to spray the ball all over the high-end hit tool, the high-end speed. He's a high-floor guy, and guess what? His cards are still going for nothing on eBay. $65 for his Bowman Chrome Auto last time I checked. Actually, another one just sold for $54 for his base Bowman Chrome Auto. I just was looking at one out of 250 that sold for $123 to get somebody's Bowman Chrome first auto out of 250. That is a top 100 prospect. Spoiler alert on Monday, he will be on our top 100 list. I think that is pennies to, to go get somebody like Sal Freelich. I would get on eBay and grab those now, though, because as he continues to hit, I can promise you that people are going to start to pile on because he's fun. He has that kind of swing that people gravitate towards from the left side. The speed, the hit tool, people are going to start jumping on, not to mention he has a very awesome signature as well, which it matters. It matters. I bought a Miguel Vargas card the other day, and I'm not going to lie. Seeing Vargas, it's just Vargas printed. It's not even cursive, just a printed just V-A-R-G-A-S is his signature. Not as pretty as that Sal Freelich, John Hancock there, which is really nice. I would scoop up that card as soon as possible because I'm expecting that card to break triple digits by the middle of the season easily. And right now there are a lot of them on eBay. 2021 Bowman Chrome Draft. Go check that out. As always, thank you for listening. I know the player interviews have been a little bit slow, but I have... 
I promise you a Rolodex of players that have all agreed. We're just trying to find the time to line up. So I'm throwing more irons in the fire. If I have to sit on an interview for another week or if I have to put out an extra episode, I'll do it. But I do not want to go another week without an interview. And I can promise you some that have agreed to it are very exciting. I'm glad that we were able to get Jack Leiter uh, last week or two weeks ago. Uh, but definitely excited for you to hear from some of the other prospects we have on the horizon. As always, you can always ask me questions on my personal Twitter at rmlayton8. Follow on the Twitter, the call up. It's I think it's the underscore call up pod to keep up over there. Uh, and if you could please leave a rating, I would really appreciate it to help grow this podcast. Thank you so much to those who have taken the time to leave a rating and review as it is just super, super helpful to grow this show. Also, a quick shout out. We have just launched our State of the Division podcast, which is six days a week, one day for each division. Uh, that's part of the Just Baseball podcast network. Very excited. Two members of the Just Baseball staff will be chopping it up once a week for each of the divisions where you can get everything you need in 15 to 20 minutes, all of the latest information and all of the latest news and info on the state of each division. Definitely subscribe to that as well. Uh, it's called State of the Division, and you will be able to catch that every single day, different division every day. As always, thank you for listening. Have a great weekend and I look forward to talking prospects, talking top 100 prospects with you on Monday.